0: As a young man, Glenn Flutie moved to the Keys to live with his father. While most kids have a playground of grass, balls, and bicycles, Flutie's was shallow water and tailing fish. His obsession stood out with his fellow fishing buddies. His expertise accelerated, and at the young age of 16, he won one of bone fishing's greatest prizes, the Fall Fly Invitational. He was a prodigy, and everyone knew it. Eventually, he ended up winning five tarpon gold cups, five in a row then in tournament retirement he won it as a guide with good friend tom siska the only person to do that he's had a heck of a rise to greatness we hope you enjoy his story
1: we broke everything we broke lines we broke hooks we broke rods we broke our minds we broke marriages we broke the
0: whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties went the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way, so I double-lunged him both ways.
1: But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress
2: out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet.
0: And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, (laughs) thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. (laughs) There's something fishy going on here. are you good yeah we're good all right uh glenn flutie how you doing buddy welcome to the mill house this is cool this is exciting glad to be here yeah no god we've been waiting to do this for some time we shouldn't have been waiting we were just kind of busy running around but uh yeah obviously uh you know one of the greatest tarpon fishermen on the planet uh with five consecutive gold cup wins um but also a great bone fisherman so Today, I'd like to speak about not only about tournament fishing, but tarpon fishing in general, what the average guy may learn from our discussion here today, Uh, but also, you know, growing up in the Keys, you know, going to high school with all your buddies, you know, Timmy Klein and and Brewer and the boys. Yeah. Uh, Where would you like to start this conversation?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because I actually grew up in Miami Springs. So why don't we just quickly start there? I had... uh, by the time I was 12 years old, I'd been doing quite a bit of fishing or playing tennis. I lived right down the street from a tennis court. Did a lot of fishing there. And uh, my parents were divorced when I was very young. So my mom was trying to raise two boys. and My older brother was not an easy guy to uh, to hang around with. He was always into some sort of trouble. Nice as, trouble. As if you weren't? Yeah, nice trouble. But uh, he, was, he had his hands full for my mom. So I used to go down to the Keys all the time with my grandparents because they had a place down there in Tavernier. And I went down there the summer of my 12-year-old my in 1972, and I just had so much fun. And my mom knew how much I enjoyed fishing. And because she was a single parent at that point trying to raise two boys, she said, would you like to stay down there with your father? And I said, well, I don't want to stay with my father, but I'll stay with my grandfather. Uh, so I stayed with my grandfather for a while. My dad, as a lot of people do know, I love my dad dearly, but he had a, he had a drinking problem. So happy hour to my dad was probably more important than uh, doing anything else.
0: Right. And your father was an offshore fisherman.
2: He was at that time. um, Actually, he started off as a backcountry guy. And we get that because Captain Gary Ellis actually mentored my dad. So lo and behold, I got down there. My dad got um, remarried to an absolute wonderful, wonderful person who loved fishing more than life itself. So Sandra and I just started fishing together because very quickly, I think she realized that... Being married to my dad is so many of the past relationships that I heard of my dad is he was a great boyfriend, but a horrible husband. So Sandy and I kind of filled our own gap. Right. You know, I, I needed a fishing partner and she loved to do it. So, you know, we started doing that, but we started off redfishing in 72. I remember we went out to the cross bank and I'm seeing all these things tail and I'd never seen a tailing redfish before. Didn't see anything tailing before. And uh, we came back all excited, thinking, what the heck was that? So at the time, my dad was guiding out of Plantation Harbor with and Gary Ellis back at uh, now Founders Park. And Gary explained what that was and told us what to do. And,
0: How old were you we at this time? I was 12. Okay.
2: And uh, Gary gave me a – he was – I think he had a, a rep that he was working with that did an old Shakespeare wonder ride. Remember the old Shakespeare spinning rod? They, they were short, fiberglass uh, – little bitty things and they had a little, uh, like almost like a plastic reel that went to it, that a plastic drag, It's a little. it was a little like a purple reel. Right. He gave me one of those, he said, go use that and throw bucktails at those things, you'll have a blast. So we started doing that and we started catching all these redfish and that was very, very cool. And I had a lot of fun doing that. And he said to me, he said, do you ever thought about bone fishing? And I said, well, what's a bonefish? And he said, oh no, there's no such thing as, what's a bonefish, I'm gonna go show you what a bonefish is. So he took my dad and I out. This was again in 72. Mm-hmm. And um, we went up to, uh, what is the, uh, up by uh, Rodriguez Key, just back there behind Dove Key in that little area on the shoreline. And we went up in there and everywhere you looked were these little dark black bullet bonefish, little three, four, five pounders, just in herds everywhere. So I'm throwing and my jig's going in every direction because I haven't refined that yet at all. And he says, here, let me show you. Let me show you. So he, Throws out, throw a little white Millie's bucktail, throws out, and he jigs it twice. One eats it, he hands it to me, and that was just so exciting. And he did it a couple times for me, and he said, so what do you think? I said, okay, this is great, so where do I catch one? And he goes, you just caught some. I said, no, I didn't. You did. When do I get to catch one? Right. So he said, okay, let's go somewhere else. And we ran up into the south end of Key Largo. uh, We went up through the, the channel, went up in there. As soon as we went up into, we took an immediate right and went right in that big pocket in there and he says glenn when we get up in there it's gonna they're gonna be bonefish everywhere you're not gonna believe what you're gonna say and I'm like, okay so far it's been pretty cool so we'll give it out there and we got in there and andy again these little fish you know four or five pounders in schools of hundreds of them mm. everywhere you could look it looked like just black clouds moving around and i threw the bucktail out there bunched it twice boom he ate it and you know, I, I don't know how many I ended up catching because my dad was just taking them off and I was throwing again and we just had a blast. And uh, we got back to the, the dock and uh, Gary gave me that rod. Unfortunately, I have bad pictures of it, but you can see back in, this was, that was actually it. That was the summer of 72. That's the first one I ever caught. Wow. And that's back with one of those little bitty rods. Was and, that your light bulb moment where you were <laughs> gonna be connected to this fish? That's when it connected me to the keys beyond what i thought it could be right because i love to fish like i said before i moved to the keys we bass fished up in the lakes up in the uh, golf courses and that was a lot of fun but this just nothing ran like this and i mean this was very cool so that's kind of where i started so timmy
0: klein says that um You used to keep a rod in your locker at school, and I think uh, (laughs) your football coach or the gym coach used to write you passes so you could skip school, go catch bonefish. Tell me about those years. Were you in
2: Coral Shores? I did. I I started in Coral Shores. I was a, uh, you know, that was our first year there. And and that summer, I met a couple of friends of mine. I met um, one of them, Doug Hyman, and Mr. Hyman uh, was one of the owners of Worldwide, the old Worldwide Sportsman. So he did a tremendous amount of bonefishing, Mr. Hyman did. Doug and I started doing other fishing, red fishing and whatnot, but I really started pushing towards bonefish. I really, really enjoyed the bonefish. So I just started popping along and, and seeing that. And then that very first summer, I met Mike Carrier, who you know very mm-hmm, well. Sure. And uh, Michael was just a fishing fanatic for bonefish. He loved bonefish. So him and I started getting together and because Mike lived in Ocean Reef and I lived right across the street from coral shores, Michael would stay at my house a lot during the school year and he would just stay there and we'd go to school. Well, lo and behold, we weren't really going to school every morning when it was nice and it was glass calm. Michael and I would go fishing and Jim Mooney, who's now I think a Congressman for us (laughs) was our PE teacher. And Jim would write a passing Glenn and Michael were helping me in the, helping me in the uh, gym this morning to excuse (laughs) us, but uh, he always made sure that we had our grades up, you know, right. He was going to do that. He would he would let us do it, and we would we we took advantage of it. We didn't ask. I mean, we just come back and say, "Jim, we need a pass." So, how old were you when you moved to the Keys? I thought you were just saying you were. I was. 12, 12, I was twelve. So and
0: these are earlier the years than than when you were twelve that you were skipping school.
2: No, no, that was the first year when I was twelve. That was the summer of of the first year that I moved to the Keys. Because I couldn't get away with that back you're home. Taught,
0: you asked him where he was living. You said that you were living in coral shores. But this is when you actually moved down This is when I Keys, actually moved l- to the Keys. Living with your dad. Yeah.
2: That was the summer of 72. So then your dad gravitated to the offshore.
0: How well, did that what transition did is, take place?
2: My dad had a back surgery when he was uh, younger. Uh, and it, it didn't go well. He had permanent nerve damage in his leg. And it got difficult for him to go up and down on the polling platform. Right. He had a 17 Mako. Uh, so he needed to do something different. So my grandfather bought him a, gosh, I think it was a 28 Bertram. And that's when my dad started doing offshore fishing. And that's when I started mating for my dad offshore fishermen, which I found out very quickly, I got seasick. So I learned to live off of It's it's horrible. So you guys, (laughs)
0: we're into that seasick thing. Join the club. It's horrible, isn't that the worst worst
2: thing? We were talking
0: about that yesterday. I would rather die than have to stay out there for another six hours vomiting your stomach. No, it's so bad. We've been to Costa Rica. We've been to Panama. I really want to try to catch
1: a billfish on fly, but it's like God. I haven't got one yet, but I'm just dreading going back. I mean, it's very cool. And I wish I didn't get seasick because I, I love it out there. I love offshore. I love looking at the frigate birds. I love that whole dynamics. But, God, I just don't want to get
2: sick again. You know those sea bands. You ever seen those sea bands? Yeah, we tried everything. They didn't work for you? you
0: know, scopolamine patches, yeah. bands. No, I- so get this. So Nikki and I want to go to or Panama. Horrible. Yeah. Okay, so Tom Evans has got his boat down there with Dean Butler. And they're trying to catch a world record black marlin I told Nikki, I said, we need to see the greatest, team ever assembled to catch big billfish on fly which were those guys so we flew down and we're hanging out with them and tom said look if we raise a marlin i'll throw the fly if we raise a sailfish you throw the fly we get out there for well he, call, he know, calls them sea turds yeah with no respect <laughs> no respect for the sailfish they don't fight very hard you know yeah, and yeah. They're, they're big and dumb and flop around anybody can it's catch it when i used
2: to think about tarpon we'll get to that in a minute
0: <laughs> so Every day, you know, the first day going out, okay, it's, it's it's slicked off calm, but they have the sea's got this rolling. Oh, you're gonna uh, get me sick now! Uh, you know, mountainous <sighs> rolls to it, and I look at Nicky, and he looks at me, and I'm going, I don't want to say anything. He didn't want to say anything. We're looking at each other like, oh, are you feeling it? <laughs> are you getting sick? We make a bet. We make a bet. Who's gonna throw up first loses, right? <laughs> so then every morning after that. Nikki and I are fighting for the couch because on one couch, here's, here's Tom Evans. Evans can't stand up. He's got 16 back surgeries. Oh, okay. So he's laying on a couch waiting for the captain and the maid to start screaming at, you know, left rigger or right rigger. And Nikki and I are fighting for the other couch because we're just dying to get under the couch and try to go to sleep so we don't get seasick. It was just.
2: No, it's horrible. And my dad had this great idea. We used to like the bottom fish. So my stepmother and I and my dad were going out to the reef one weekend and. Dad's like, Glenn, the only way you're going to get over this is you're just going to have to get it sick and let it run through you. Well, we got out there on a Friday night. By Saturday morning, I almost needed to get airlifted off that boat. Oh, my God. stepmother was so pissed. She's like, Albert. Because I mean, anybody that knew my dad, they called him Albert when they were pissed. Albert, you take you take Glenn home right now. And I'm like, I can't even stand up. And he wasn't going to. He says, no, he'll get over this. And she's like, take him home. I mean, this is enough. And uh, I got to tell you, I started living on Dramamine, which is not...
0: Makes you sleepy. Oh, it's horrible.
2: So I got to the point where I just couldn't stand going offshore anymore.
0: Yeah, I hear you. But you used to mate and have to clean the boat.
2: I used to mate and clean the boat. I did that just for gas money for my little boat. So that I could just go red fishing and bone fishing. Right.
0: What's this about Mickey Mantle? They were fishing and they took a bunch of uh, fish. They were in a helicopter and dumped all the guts on your dad's boat. Well, what's I, up with that?
2: I, you know what? I wasn't there when that happened, but that wouldn't surprise me because I made it on the boat a few times with Mickey. What a great guy! He was funny, funny man. Loved to play jokes, and uh, him and Dad used to just laugh and go crazy. And Mickey always had a gentleman that was with him. I don't know if it was called a, it was a handler, but his good friend was always with Mickey and uh they fished a lot with my dad. I made it a few times with him, but like I said, I, that was kind of winding down, but that wouldn't surprise Have me. Have you heard that rumor before? I I heard it, but I never saw it. And never. I did not was not asked to clean the boat afterwards. So <laughs> I was kind of out of it by then, but it wouldn't it wouldn't a bit surprise me because Mickey used to come fish dad when he was at the harbor cuz my dad used to kept, you know, keep his boat there.
0: Well, we'll leave that story in, in limbo then.
2: Yeah, so I can't I can't to, you know make sure it happened but i heard something like that and i just started i started laughing something
0: I, like they get in a helicopter and they threw a bunch of fish guts on your dad's boat upon <laughs> departure or something like that it sounds like, a little outlandish but anyway yeah. let's go back to growing up now you're in the keys you're living yeah. with your grandfather mm-hmm. and you're going to school with
2: timmy klein and, and brewer timmy was timmy and brewer were actually a year behind me are uh actually they're two years no, they're one year behind me because they were the same <clears> age as ricky moeller so now I'm, I'm fishing with, you know, we're going out in the mornings, we're going out in the afternoons, but it's interesting because back in those days, we only knew that bonefish only showed up. We only liked tailing bonefish, did not like mudding bonefish. So they tailed on a rising tide and the last the falling tides. So Why rest, didn't you
1: like mudding bonefish?
2: I couldn't read them. And uh, to me, part of what I would consider my success in bonefishing is uh, Jimmy Lopez. I was lucky to, to have quite a few really, really good mentors back in the day. And Jimmy heard that I like tailing bonefish. And Jimmy loved tailing bonefish. He was a great bone fisherman. I ended up fishing against him that tournament I won when I was 16. And he taught me, Glenn, look, the fish is gonna show you what to do. And if you just study the fish, he's gonna show you when he's ready to dip down to eat. This is when you should put the fly there, watch his dorsal, you know, watch what the fish does. And he's going to tell you what it takes to make it eat. I couldn't read a fish under the water when he was mudding. He was there doing his thing, but I couldn't do it. And of course, Michael Currier, one of the best mudding bone fishermen I've ever seen, right. he'd just laugh at me. He goes, I couldn't catch anything when they mudded. He's like, what's wrong with you?
1: Right. But isn't that the best time to catch those <clears throat> big bonefish when they're mudding because they're not, feeding?
2: Not to me, they're feeding when they're tailing too. So, you know, it's just two different ways of looking at, it. Jimmy told me that, watch the bonefish as he's moving. And then as soon as you start to see him tip down, put the fly within a foot of his nose right just drop it right there instantly and don't do anything and then he said as soon as the bonefish starts to tip down don't go you know bump bump slowly strip it and he, i asked him why instead of bumping he says because i want that fly to pull through we used to have a lot of good grass back in those days on the flats and he said that fly is going to push through the grass and it's going to create a little silt coming off the grass and he said that again, this is what he was telling me, was the natural thing that a prey would do, leaving that fish. Especially a crab. Especially a crab, because they're right. going to kick that little silt right. off of that. And sure enough, I would do that and I would just slowly strip it. And you'd watch that his dorsals, as he was coming back down, just go boink, you know, right back up. And he would just run over and I would just watch them pin down. Half the time, you know, it's interesting that they would say, strip, do you feel him? I didn't. As soon as I saw him go and pin down, I would just lift up.
0: It's interesting with a uh, permit. Um, I remember just before um, I fished the Del Brown with Dustin Huff, I was asking Kilpatrick, what is the key? One of the most key things to read with permit when they tip down, just like the bonefish <clears throat> were just talking. He said, look, a lot of fish will tip down like this, but a permit won't necessarily have it until he pins it to the ground. So when a permit tips up, wait till that tail wiggles like this, because that way he's trying to swim down and, and pin that crab. Um, and that was a, a light bulb moment for for permit fishing for me. Now, when that bonefish tips down, he's in such shallow water, he probably didn't have to swim and, and pin it. As soon as he tips down, I always thought he had it, yep. and you just slide it tight.
2: You know, it's interesting because, like I said, when I would see him pin it down, Andy, if you think back, because you've caught a. A lot of bonefish like we both have you will also see them get a little bit of a jitter on their their dorsal and their tail i mean you can see that he's he's made contact yeah, yeah. yeah he's like i'm on you right. and the minute he did that i never strip striked it just it just it didn't work for me i just started to slowly lift it and if it came at the slightest type then i would just pop pop pop, pop and bink it up and, right and that was generally on um so that you know he just perfected that for me and uh People would laugh at me when I would be out there and I'd see bonefish moving, moving, moving. I wouldn't throw. wouldn't throw. Harry said to me.
0: Wait for him to tail.
2: He'd say, why aren't you throwing? We were in the spring. Because you don't want the fish to see your fly land. I not want to see it go. And the fish is moving. And you know what? He's in shallow water. When they're up in that real shallow water, if they're not aggressively trying to get away from the shallow water, they're up there because they're feeding in that shallow water. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy used to tell me, give them a chance to find something to feed on. But he said, keep alert. Keep. Keep within the right distance at all times so that when that fish starts to go, and he wouldn't even wait till it went. says, so as soon as you start to see a tip, you put the put the fly in the water already. Now, the interesting thing about that, when we were kids in the early 70s, before I started fly fishing, we went to plug rods with Millie's Bucktails. And Andy, you fished a lot of downtown like I've done around Shell Key and Main Bank. Ricky Moeller and I started plug casting about the same time because Mr. Hyman, again, really good plug caster, and he gave me my first outfit. They would hear a Millie's bucktail hit the water. We'd lead those things. Might be like, as soon as, again, they would start to tail. You'd lead them five or six feet. They would hit it. I mean, they would hear it hit, Nikki, and they would get up, and they would just run. Race to it. Just run, and just go, boom. Wow. And just, wow. <laughs> I mean, we're talking 10, 12, 13-pound fish on downtown and Main Bank, just running over to inhale it. It was a blast.
1: How technical was it back there, back then, to find these bonefish? Did, did they have little edges and, and were you know certain um, corners of the flat better than others, or were you just going to the flat and there were tails everywhere? like, well, like, like you yeah. hear back in the '60s.
2: You know, again, again, it goes back to how you were raised, and I, I wanted to be the most successful that I could every time I hit the flat. So I'm one of those people that most people don't understand. I like to really understand why they're there. And they're there to feed. We know that. But where are the exit points on the falling tide that they have to leave from? And then where are those entrance points that want to bring them back up on the bank? Wouldn't that be the same area? It is It in some cases on some flats and other flats. You'd be surprised. They might come up and leave on, or on, feed
0: all the way down they, an edge they and They go all exit. the way
2: down a slough and then exit, but yet when the tide comes in, they come in from the other side.
0: Right. The, the so, water depth is different.
2: Yeah. So yeah. we'd we'd always try to find that and we'd find those ambush points. And uh, that made it very successful. Back when you're talking about, we used to go through, like Mike Carrier and I or Ricky Moeller and I in the mornings, and we'd go out through Snake Creek or especially snake Creek. And we'd come out and we'd look at the last of the falling or the first, of the rising, you look to the North, you look to the South and said, well, you know what? It's only like about 300 tailing over here, but it looks like a thousand of them over here. So let's go over there. <laughs> really? It was literally that crazy. Can,
0: can we go back briefly for yeah. maybe somebody who's listening, um, to the stripping versus sliding a fly. And I, and I found out, um, that especially in certain areas, like big bonefish areas, The big bonefish don't like a fly jumping. No, they do not. That's why we always fished a crab and we always slid it just like you're talking about and creating that little mud that the the crab uh, um, is deploying when it's sliding along the bottom. Maybe in other areas of the world, like the Bahamas, you know, fishing a a shrimp pattern. They might like to see it bump a little bit. But also, too, with tarpon. If I wanted to show a fly to a tarpon, let's just say I cast that fly a little bit long Mm -hmm. of his path. Harry, our both of our one of our mentors, he used to say sweep that fly into position with your rod tip. Don't don't strip it in because that fish might see that fly jumping out there and they might tuck it. But he always taught me how to present the fly in a soft, easy manner uh, and once they see it, then you start feeding that fish. So like a bonefish, you know that those big bonefish we always like you. If they were tailing, once that head is down, then put the fly in there. As soon as he looks up, you know it was all about the slide. And uh, quite often, I used to early in my in uh, when I was fishing for those big fish, when I'd see that fish tail down, and I'd feel them when I was, when I uh, when I s- s- uh, strip strike, mm-hmm. I'd feel it just to get a little bit tight. I'd go to the rod, mm-hmm. and if I went too aggressively, I'd pull that fly out of there. If I if he missed the fly, but if you strip strike. And you feel that fish and you go to set it and all of a sudden that flies loose the fly still isn't, is in his face so then you can yeah. slide it again and get a second bite
2: you know it's funny that that's absolutely correct the only difference is back in the 70s <laughs> when you occasionally would pull it out the fish was doing donuts trying to find it and you could throw it back in just there toss it right back in there and then it was like <laughs> <laughs> so it was just you know we had it was a lot easier in the seventies to do that, but you know, I fished, I got lucky, like I said, I was able to fish with quite a few good people, Jimmy. And then I fished a lot with Flip Mm -hmm. and uh, he was so good. And Flip and I used to fish quite a bit. I'd go up and stay at his house and we'd go up to uh, different parts of Key Largo. Flip taught me a lot of Key Largo, but he took me one day to this place called Whitmore Bite. And I think I was probably only 15 at the time. And we were up there throwing and he'd let me throw first. And Flip was just so elegant with his cast, you know, slow, you've, you've talked, he's just the prettiest caster. Oh my gosh. Just slow and precise. And they were everywhere. And I ended up catching, if I'm not mistaken, I thought I caught, I think I caught nine and he caught 11. And the two that I couldn't get to eat were the two that he beat me with those 11. And, um, you know, he just, he had a knack, but again, he used to tell me, Glenn, what's the fish doing? Mm -hmm. Figure out what the fish is doing because you know, they're, you read them and that's going to, he says, that's going to set you in any other fish you want to catch on the flats. You need to understand it. And that's, that's kind of been my thing uh, from bone fishing to tarpon fishing. Again, most people get too caught up and they throw the cast and they're, you know, they're, they're watching their fly and everything else. I don't do that. I put the fly where hopefully it's supposed to go and then i by what i'm doing i'm watching what the fish is doing right right because if the fly's where it's supposed to be watch the fish and the fish is going to tell you one did he duck because you did something wrong uh did he light up on it and run up on it and then didn't finish it you did something wrong you know i'm just one of those people that believe these things want to eat and if you put it where it needs to be and you really pay attention to what the fish is doing, you're going to have better shots, better opportunities to make them eat. But, you know, back to the bone fishing, we spent just every waking moment on the flats. You know, I, like I said, I started going with Ricky because Doug Hyman liked the redfish. Mike wasn't always there because he was in the reef, but I ran into Ricky Moeller, uh, and Ricky just loved to bone fish. So Ricky and I, as we were kids, Ricky was a year younger than I am, I used to go down i had a, a just a little a little boat I'm a McKee craft with a 65 on it and we basically started staking out and looking at florida bay you know we we fished everywhere downtown then we got up to steamboat we took steamboat to the north out to crab key we took crab key to you know over to crane key then up panhandle uh you know down there to uh, uh twin key and gopher keys and we just fished that whole circuit over to uh, green mangrove and back down Peterson and that, that was our area. And we just fished that over and over and over again. And we learned it, you know, together. And we learned it really, really well to to know which tide we wanted to be, the temperature of the water, when we would do it, when we weren't. This time of the year, we wouldn't go if we still saw those stupid little brown ducks. Do You ever see those little cold water ducks in Florida Bay? They're little bitty brown ones. This time, I'm sure I have. As long as we could see those ducks, we didn't bone fish because we knew the water was still too cold. Mm. But we just we went out all the time. I mean, we just spent so much time on the water. Ricky was plug casting; I was fly fishing.
1: I was going to ask, could you talk about you know your earlier start to bone fishing? You were throwing Millie's bucktail jigs. When did the fly fishing, you know, switch come on and said, "I want to start fly fishing for these"?
2: Well. You know, Gary Ellis, again, was a, a pretty good influence on, on me. And there was a couple of Shakespeare reps down there back in the day. I think maybe a Fluger rep and whatnot. So Gary said to me, Did, you know, would you ever think about the fly fishing? I think I was only 13 or 14 at the time because I was really into plug fishing. I mean, it was a blast, plug fishing. And uh, I said, sure. So he gave me one of those old white Shakespeare fly rods. It was nine feet tall. It looked like a push pole you ever seen those giant old fiberglass white fly rods i think i have no back
0: in the day i was out in colorado skiing oh okay Okay. (laughs) i think i haven't haven't seen i hadn't seen a saltwater fish yet
2: this thing was so big and um you know we didn't have much reel so like i said i I brought you a a couple of reels that, that i used this was actually my first reel that i put on that rod and i was Telling your dad, how It's an old it's, medalist. It's an old, you know, it's a self. Hold, hold that, hold that up a little bit to the camera. Yeah, right? It's I, an I, old,
0: you know. I left. You used to fish bone fish with this, and uh, Joe Brooks. Really? Yeah, absolutely. There's old photographs of these guys. With, Gary uh,
2: Ellis gave me this, and, old medalist. Yeah, to go with that rod, and I was out throwing, and you got. Funny, I still got the backing, little piece of the backing, probably back on from the 70s, and um, I'd hook the fish, and it would run all of a sudden. The reel would lock up, and I'm like, "What the heck." because I kept breaking them off. I'm thinking this isn't good. So (laughs) we took the the reel off and uh, we're looking at it and we noticed that it's just got this little plastic, maybe ceramic type drag plate right here, that black drag plate. Right. And what was going on is the reel was spinning so fast with the bonefish, because remember these weren't little bonefish, we're Mm -hmm. talking 10 pound bonefish, that it was actually heating that disc up and it was causing this to grab and grab and grab and we kept breaking them off. So we just decided what the heck. So we went in my mom's kitchen or my stepmother's kitchen and we got the aluminum foil and we started cutting little discs and we put three or four or five discs until it stopped the heat. We'd punch it over this and put it back together and the aluminum foil oh. would absorb the heat. Hmm. So it wouldn't, um, the drag was a lot looser than you'd want <laughs> right. because the aluminum foil was you know hindering that, but it worked and it worked really, really well. So, you know, I used this for quite a bit of time, but uh, once Gary gave me that and started me on that path, there was pretty much no looking back for me. And again, like I said, I was very lucky to have different reps that seemed to see me catching a few fish and asked me if I would consider using this or using that. So
0: what age did you move from the plug rod to rod, 14 and then, then you were done with the plug
2: i keep the plug rod with me when i would go out to florida bay for snook and redfish because uh-huh. we used to fish a lot of that up in eagles nest island up in little Madeira bay right but uh whenever i was bone fishing at that point i'd have a fly rod in the boat
0: right. let's go back to flip very briefly yeah. you said you used to fish a lot with flip what in, what in specific did he teach you other than just fish with him and show you good, great fishing
2: he taught me patience um uh, that I did not have. Uh, How would he express that? He'd say, Glenn, slow down. You know, just, you have gotta take it slow. Bone fishing is about, you know, look around you. Look how pretty this is. You know, this is about, you've gotta fit in to their world because you can't come charging in on a bank and expect that you're gonna make these fish happy. Uh, They weren't really big fish up at Whitmore. They were, you know, seven, eight, nines. And I say that now, big now, fish for now. Yeah. now that's a big fish. But back in the day, there were just so many of those. And he just said, "Look, I want to. I want to watch your stroke. I want you to calm it down, take it easy. I want the fly to hit, land a little softer." So he basically just took me from a rough, you know, jamming in it. Yeah, I was testosterone filled young a, kid. was a nutcase case. To uh, as I was waiting, you know, because Flip and I waited a lot, right. Uh, I was throwing wakes worse than the boat was. He's like, (laughs) stop moving.
0: (laughs) Well, I remember after you... uh uh, you won the 95 fall fly the year before I won it. And I was asking Craig Brewer of whom was your guide. I said, what was it like fishing with Glenn? Everybody knows you're the best bone fisherman on well, the planet. You're the best tarpon fisherman on the planet. Nobody could beat you. He said, I would just take Glenn to, you know, uh, tavernier and he'd jump out of the boat and go catch a bunch of fish.
2: Well, you know, it was funny for that, that year, because we had just won the gold cup with Paul and, uh, my last one And Brewer calls me, and he says, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, my angler dropped out for the fall fly. You like that tournament, don't you? I said, sure, but I haven't bone fished in forever.
0: But you've won it three times. Why did you fish it so intermittently and not consecutively?
2: Well, I, uh, the very first one that I fished, let's go back to that because that was exciting. Cause you were like was, 16 when you won your 16, first tournament. I was 16, 76. You know, I'd fished with flip quite a bit and, um, I was really bumpishing quite a bit, but, but I didn't, we didn't have any money, Andy. It was, you know, it so was, it
0: was a the it, price thing well to get then, into the tournament and, and paying was, for guides.
2: And I was in school. It yeah. happened in September. We were in school. So, you know, flip says you really should do this. Come on, do this. I can get you into this tournament. Why don't you come do it? And Lopez said, come on, Clint, come do the tournament. So I didn't have a guide. And, uh, Tony lay was just a friend of the family's and Tony had his license. And, uh, my dad talked to Tony and Tony said, sure, I'll fish him, you just pay expenses. So we were able to do that. And I'll tell you a funny story because I got to the kickoff and, you know, I was pretty cocky then because I thought, this is gonna be fun, you know, these guys. But I'm in this room with all these super wealthy guys, you know, I'm like that little street rat at the, you know, doesn't have any money, just kind of hung around and did his thing. And uh, and I'm amongst all these people, Carl Navarre was there because, you know, the banquet was at sure. Chica. And all these big guys, and they were very nice to me. But I'll never forget they did a Calcutta back then. This was a five-day tournament back then. And um it came to me and nobody was bidding on me. And I was pissed. I'm thinking, <laughs> nobody's it's bidding like on Steve me. It's like Steve
0: Huff the first time he entered a gold cup. He sold for like $35. He's really oh, let's stick this right up their ass. No, well, I think the first I think the first bid or something was 60 cents. I
1: think he uh, said yeah. that. Yeah. So
2: I was just, I was so Pissed. And then I think my dad ended up buying me. Now I went from pissed to utterly embarrassed. And Flip walks you, up to me. What did your dad pay for, to get I, you? I think he code. paid like a $125 or $100, which was a lot of money back then for, for my dad. And um, I was pissed. You know, I'm stomping around looking all mopey. And Flip walks up to my table and he says, What's wrong? I said, Nobody freaking bit on me, Flip. I said, You know how ridiculous that is? He says, He looks at me and he says, Why don't you grow up? I'm like, excuse me? He goes, your dad bid on you, okay? Because he believes in you. You know what you can do. I know what you can do. Go show the rest of these guys why they should have bid on you. But he did. He said to me, he said, you just got to stop that right now. He goes, you look kind of foolish sitting here moping around because nobody bid on you. So how'd you do? I won. You won, yeah. yeah. No, I, I know that. I'm just- <laughs> it was it was pretty, you know what though? It was really interesting because again, like I said, Jimmy Lopez was in there and um, it was a, it was a, tough week because our boat broke down i was fishing with his regal craft which didn't you know pull well and we were we were right across straight from the old coral uh was it the uh the old buffet the coral grill in Almorada. and i'm going on that beach line there and tony's polling and i see a couple bonefish tailing by this dock and i wait out there and i'm going on the back side of the dock because we're coming around the dock these two fish and all of a sudden here comes this lady come walking down her dock And she goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm in a bonefish tournament. I want to catch one. She goes, you know, you're not going to do that. I'm like, why? She goes, those are my pets. I'm like, they're bonefish. They're not pets. And she says, you're not going to catch those fish. I said, no, I'm in a tournament. She goes, okay. She goes back, grabs a couple rocks off the beach, walks back and throws rocks at those bonefish. (laughs) I'm like, you've got... Those are my pets. I'm like, you've got... Those are your pets you're throwing rocks at?
0: (laughs) The, uh if i had one last fish to catch after 40 years of doing this i think it would be waiting for a big tailing bone fish i i miss that and who knows when you know maybe in, in andros we can find that fish maybe in uh caledonia but that scenario is so organic you know just you yourself your mind the wind the, the great sun and the fish out there you know digging digging holes
2: you know, it's funny you say that. And I, I absolutely agree. Tom Siska, you knows like my brother. Since my brother passed away years ago, Tom was kind of like, he filled in. Him and I have been going to a place called the over there uh, in the Bahamas for the last few years. That's, uh, we'll bleep
0: that name out.
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah, we've been just going to the Bahamas. And he said to me, he goes, Glenn, it's going to be like it was again when you were a kid. There's so many tailing bonefish there now. They're not big, he said, but you're gonna have a blast. So I went and I got my hardy. I bought a hardy seven weight, eight weight, nine weight, four piece, and we went over there. And Andy, I would rather do that than anything else again because it did. It took me back to a time. This is this is the most unique place. You wade through the bushes in the dark, getting destroyed by mosquitoes. It's got little headlamps. You know, Tom's got everything. He's got goodies because there's razor crawl everywhere, so you have to be very careful. You get out right to the water's edge. Now, these fish are anywhere from two pounds to five pounds. Five pounds big. So two pounds to three to four, you catch a lot of. I'm standing out there in the dark, and I'm I'm watching the, the water kind of move, and I'm thinking, what the heck? And as the sun comes up from me to your desk, there are three or four tailing bonefish right there. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I just took my right and I went, ding, 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 <laughs> And there like it a was. cane pool. Yeah. And they ate. Wow. So, you know, we've been going over there now for some time. As a matter of fact, we're going back and uh, he's going for 28 days in March and I'm going to go for 10. But I would rather go waiting. Waiting is my, to me, waiting takes me back to a time in the Keys when it was good right. and it was new. Right. And these fish over in the Bahamas don't know to be afraid of you. And right. that's so exciting. Now, we don't fish with barbs. Cause you don't want to you know, hurt their mouth and you lose a few because of that, but you're That's over there okay. throwing six weights and seven weight rods. You get this big bend a little three pound bumper still fights like a 10 pounder. He'll take you right to your backing. He doesn't know. He's only that big.
0: It's just love to see what they do.
2: <sighs> Did you ever dabble in the permit game? You know, I didn't do much. I, I, they were very hard even back when I was a kid to catch, uh, you know, they didn't tail very much. I caught more mutton snapper on flies in Ocean Reef than I ever did Permit because they would tail right on the back of the 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 you know the stingrays. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I've caught a few. As a matter of fact, the one bonefish tournament, the second fall fly I won in 81 or 82, I won with Skip Paxton. And again, we were up at Whitmore Bight and uh, bonefish were tailing all over the place. And he had an old Willie Roberts, so he couldn't get in too close. So I had to get out. And I'm waiting the shoreline and, all of a sudden, I look out to the left. I heard a splash, a big splash, and I see a permit tailing. And I'm walking that way, and Skip's like, don't do it. We're not in a – I know this isn't a permit tournament. Don't do it. I'm like, oh do know what I got. I have to. I have to. I'm waiting out there, and he goes, you hook it? I'm not coming to help you. Because I'm like, well, you can't get your boat in here anyway. What difference <laughs> right. is it like? So sure enough, I threw out there, and I hooked it, and I caught. That was my first permit on a fly. It was about 12 pounds. That was so cool that uh, he wouldn't even take a picture of it. He said, there's bonefish tailing everywhere, and you throwing for a stupid permit, but uh, that was my first permit. But even after that, something about bonefish, just, I didn't want to leave it. So how'd you gravitate towards the tarpon? Well, Billy Pate used to fish the bonefish tournaments too, back in the day. And Billy used to say to me all the time, come on, Flutie, it's time you, you know, man up and start doing tarpon. I used to say, well, Billy, tarpon are for people who can't catch bonefish, so why would I want to do that? Had you caught tarpon yet? When only a couple, only place. a couple. Gary Ellis had shown me a little spot up in Manatee over by the islands. And I went in there with my mowing fish fly run these little flies and I would catch little bitty dudes. Sure. But during that period, Jimmy Lopez and I used to fish. He used to take me out and I'd pull him around for like 50 bucks for a few hours. We go back in the back of Rabbit Key Basin. And I think he was searching for a record on 12. And I would watch him throw and hook up and break off fish. To, it's not big enough. I'm like, how big do you want? This thing is huge because it's got to be like 120 or something. I'm like, so I used to do that, and I thought, God, these things—soon as soon as they throw a fly, they eat. You know, it's like no big deal. So I, I never did it, never did it, never did it, and finally, Mike Carrier again uh, for my birthday. We used to take each other birthday bone fishing or what, And He says, "We're not going bone fishing this year. I'm taking you tarpon fishing." I'm like, "Really?" I said, "Okay." So he booked Harry, and uh, this was in '91. Harry Spear. Harry Spear. Or it was, actually it was in 1990. And we went down to uh, and fished that, you know, the whole sugar sure. loaf area. And that was really exciting. And, you know, and Michael, we kept hooking them and they kept falling off because, you know, we were sitting like bonefish just and Harry's just laughing at us. And I hooked a couple and just had a blast. And on the way home, Harry said, would you ever consider thinking about doing a tarpon tournament? I said, well, Harry, I, you know, I don't know. You know, it's just, it's tarpon. He goes, no, really, we should do that. I think, he goes, I think you'd enjoy it. I said, but you saw, I couldn't keep moaning. He goes, I can fix that for you. That's what he said. He goes, I can fix that for you. So I said, okay. So we didn't do a lot of practicing right before that. Actually, it might've been, it was, it was my birthday in, in January. So we fished February. So that next June, that June, we fished that first Gold Cup.
0: Which was in 92. I think it, no, I I won in 92, it was in 91. Okay, so your first year you...
2: First year I fished there, I did not win. So I'm out there and, you know, I used to always say to my dad, you know... I thought you fished five tournaments, won five tournaments. So you had one year to to warm up. I won one year to warm up. So it was so funny. So we went out on a practice day and he said, I'm going to show you where we're going to go. I said, okay. So he took me up into back in the day when it was just fly fishing only. There was only us and Steve Huff up there and... He took me to this spot, which I know you fished enough. There's remember that as you come into there's that big dark spot. It was like about a 50-yard circle. And these fish would just lay up on this. They would roll up and then they would just slowly sink and you could see the bubbles. He goes, This is where we're coming tomorrow. I'm like, okay, this is great. <laughs> so I said, this should be like taking candy from a baby. I said, they're freaking everywhere. Are you kidding? Yeah, I said, we're gonna smoke everybody, Harry. It's not gonna be fair. He goes, okay, I just Calm down. Calm down. We'll see. Yeah. So we get out there and I'm throwing. They're eating. I'm setting up. Tarpon are flying. Hooks are flying back at the boat. Fly lines tangling everybody. I mean, I am just everywhere. And I think that we hooked 11 and had 11 bites and everyone fell off. And I got back home that afternoon and I'm sitting at my dad's table and And he comes in and he says, what's wrong? And I said, yeah, dad, remember how I told you that bonefish were for people who couldn't catch tarpon? And he goes, yeah, why? And I said, I must be a great bonefisher because I suck at tarpon. (laughs) He goes, what do you mean? I said, I couldn't keep any of these things on. And it went like that the whole week. And finally the last day, this is when it was a kill tournament. The last year it was a kill tournament. I finally hooked one. We're at Sugarloaf. And you've been there before when you've seen, I don't know, Andy, it looked like a quarter mile of a string of fish going down in front of the all the way Mm -hmm. down. And I'm throwing and I'm throwing and I'm throwing and I'm throwing. We change flies over and over again. Finally, Harry switches to something. I throw to the last fish, Nikki, that was in the entire thing and he ate. So I set up on him. So I'm all freaked out. This thing's only about, you know, I think 90 pounds. And I'm just going like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Harry's like, you're not pulling. I'm like, I am. And he goes, you're not pulling. He finally shut the motor off. He said, you're either going to pull it or you're going to lose it. And that's how,
0: you, that's how you learned how to pull on tarpon.
2: Well, no. He goes, I just somehow got it to the boat and we killed it, unfortunately, put it, he had a body bag. And it, 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 uh, as excited as I was to catch it, I hated seeing that fish on the back of our boat right? because we had to bring it to the dock back then. So I ended up placing fourth. I beat Tom Sisk out as new angler that year. So he said, okay, Flutie, no more of this. I'm going to set you on a path now that you've got to just do this. From now on, no more bone fishing. 12-weight is your rod. A 12-weight is your arm. You don't do anything that doesn't include a 12-weight. He taught me how to take a scale, tie it to a tree, tie leaders, put a piece of tape over like 8 pounds, 10 pounds, and 12 pounds. And he said, I want you to pull to your left. And he said, how much do you think you're pulling? I said, I don't know. That's a lot. And he said, it's 3 pounds. Pull your right. And I pulled... And he got me to the point where I was pulling eight to 10 pounds every time I could feel it. I could go against the tape Mm -hmm. and I knew it. He says from December until the tournament every year, I don't want you doing anything but practicing, 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 practicing.
0: Did he teach you at that time how to hang on to your fly line? To create resistance.
2: Well, that was that was step two. There were several steps to this process that he gave me. I mean, he really put me on a, a weird path, you know, to doing this, but I trusted him. Right. Because he knew, you know, I didn't know anything about this. So yeah, first was the, the pull to figure out where it was so that you could go and we did it at like 40 feet, 60 feet and 80 feet. He did it at 80 feet to prove to me why you should never try to throw at 80 feet and try to hook a tarpon at 80 feet because there's so much stretch in your line that you're going to get a third more yeah. stretch at that distance and you would if you waited. So yeah. So I got to the point where I knew where it was and I could, you know, with my finger and, and hold it and get it there and everything else. Then he said, now we're going to practice on, on hook set. So again, I'd hook and then I would pull, pull, pull until I would break my tippet, pull, pull, pull till I would break my tippet, get it to the point and try to really pull and break the tippet. So after that, he said, you found that? And I said, yes. He goes, so you're never going to do that again. All you're going to do is I don't ever want to see you go bonk, bonk, bonk anymore. I want to see you strip down, comes tight. You put that, you strip one more time and you hold that rod. And then you just slowly make that big bend all the way back here. And you just hold that fish. Mm -hmm. He said, you just let that fish sit there, wiggle his head, do what he has to do. Because Harry would, you know, he'd hone that 34007. To like a razor blade bend the barb down yeah he said it'll set itself if you just hold it then he said and then after that too many people make the mistake of worrying about how do you clear the line he said so many people all they want to do is after they hook it they're looking down trying to figure out how do i get all this line away from me how do i do that and he goes i don't ever want to see you do that again i did that he goes what i want you to do is you hold it you hold that line out with your left hand you hold the fish and you make the fish take the line. If the fish doesn't want to take the line, don't try to give it to him. Right. Don't throw a line at it. A lot of it. times they that's, don't even leave the fly line. That's what he told you, Dad. Well, What he
0: said, fish. he said, don't give him the fly make line. Him make take him take it. Make him earn it. Yep. But the thing is, what I, I learned later on is that once once you know that that fish is hooked Yep. and you hold him, because that big head slashing, that 40-pound head, that's helping seat that hook. Yep. But once you've got him and he takes off, you're not going to stop him. That's right. So there's no sense in trying to make him earn any more line. Nope. Because at that point, if you just clear that fly line with two with a finger and a and a thumb lightly, that fly line comes up off, off the deck of the boat and goes out with no bouncing. But if you hang on to that fly line, oh no, it's jerking the all the over the place. Yeah. We'll have that fly line looking for your head to wrap around. So, and I think that's one of the biggest problems people have is that They're so excited about hooking the big fish that they don't want to let it go.
2: And don't you notice that they're looking down at the line instead of looking at the fish and the rod tip to make sure you're not doing that?
0: I disagree with that in the fact that I don't need to look at the fish. I need to look at my line to make sure it's not tangled on anything. And many times I'll look down and realize that that fly line uh, might be, I might be stepping inside that fly line or it might be wrapped around maybe another rod or something in the, you know, near the cooler. Uh, and if my eyes are on the fish, I won't see that. And quite often your guide will too tell you, hey, your fly line's wrapped, you're wrapped around the fly line, you know? So when I look down, once I get the fish hooked, I need to find out whether or not I'm good to go to let that fly line clean.
1: And then fighting the fish, you're w- well known for fighting them off the drag. You don't touch your fly line. Well, I correct? didn't start out that way, okay.
2: but my, uh, Harry said to me, we got to change what you're doing because, you know, I, I didn't, f- never felt comfortable doing that with my finger because too many times, you know, the fish can do something really weird. So we'll step back on that. Harry taught me my next thing after I hooked the fish to clear the line. Uh, and then the next thing was how much bend I keep in my rod at all the time and how to fight the fish. So. You know, I would always reel down on him and then, you know, pull him back and reel down on him. And but when you pull back, you're pulling back with your hands on the fly line. I was at that time. Yes, I was. I had my foref- my, my index finger on that pulling him back. And what I found is Harry taught me don't bow to the fish. Now, it, it's it's not your normal bow. We still do give him a little bit of the rod, but what I call I used to tell him we're going to walk the dog. Tarpon comes up, he starts doing his head. Don't throw lines straight at him. We never hey, do that. Don't give him slack. But don't give him slack. Yeah. You take that big bend that you had, you maybe decrease it by 50%, and you just kind of do this. There's right. still a do, bend
0: in the rod. Chip. Still I a bend. Just it, yeah. Letting, yeah. The tip,
2: letting the tip take the resistance. Don't pull. Let the tip take the resistance. Yeah. Let him fall back. And then as he's going back in the water, a lot of times- Lay him down. I'll, I'll lay him, and he'll just start coming right back at him right. again. The right. minute he hits the water, we start doing that. But I still never felt comfortable doing that. And we won the first Gold Cup. Uh, but the second one, I decided to do something different and I took my, Oh, as if that didn't work, <laughs> as <laughs> yeah. if winning didn't work, but we got to fix winning. But it didn't feel right yet. So I did the same routine every year, every year I would do on my chitin skill, but now I took my finger off of it and decided to start setting my drag to find out where that eight, 10 and 12 pounds were. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to the point where I kept 12 pounds on that fish after I felt I had him in control. Now, when he's clearing the boat, like we're talking about, I'm using about two pounds, Andy.
0: But here's the question with that reel that you had, mm-hmm. because that drag knob had to be turned a number of times to get to 12 pounds of resistance. Yes, whereas the new reels now, like like a Hardy or like a Mako, and you go zero for to 100% in one revolution, so you can mark... Um, uh, the drag knob in the back of the reel encasing so you know exactly where eight ten or twelve pounds is so how did you know where twelve pounds was pulled it, was it like... with my hand I would I'm so used to working it was just on my muscle scale. memory
2: it was so used to working so off you, to you the side. you were kind
0: of guessing with with feel.
2: Once I got to the point and my my kids, it was so funny I used to call my oldest daughter my tarpon. She I said Man, it's time to go play tarpon. So she knew to hold the scale while I was doing that. And I'd say okay where am I now? And she'd say you're at the eight. Where am I now? You're at the 10 she'd found where I was at the 12. So I got really good at knowing where eight, 10 and 12 were sure, yeah. on this. And when I knew it was there, I would then also feel what it felt like coming off coming the off reel. The so that I knew that as I'm going, if it's going a little too much, I could give it a tug. And I know I just needed to just offset it. Cause back then I was using my able reels mm-hmm. at that, you know, back in, in right. those days. And it was very, you had to know where you were at, like what you said. Uh, so I, I was really comfortable about doing that. Now, understand, I didn't do that until I had that fish to where I would consider 30 feet from the boat. And max. he wasn't going to
0: jump anymore. He's too tired. He
2: was too tired. Now, he might get up and do one of those head, but very rarely would they ever do one of those acrobatic, you know, things. You can't do that when you're tired. Yeah. So I would get him up that. And again, when they would do that, I would make let him come up and do his thing. And then I would just go right back. But one thing that I would do different than a lot of people do, and I still do it, which is different than a lot of people do. You and I fished near each other at times out on some of those big fish, but we've been far enough away where you can't see me. If I'm doing that and I'm pulling real hard and he starts to do that, his thing, I don't want to reel back down on him. What I do is I grab, I get the line and I strip back down on him until I get that big bend in the rod again. Then I will clamp with my, my forefinger on the rod and then just hit the reel and bring that line right back on that reel. What's the difference between
0: just reeling down as opposed to what you just did?
2: You know, it's just a comfort level. I don't think it's anything more than a feel.
0: But don't you think that's dangerous? Because once that fly line is on the reel, you've eliminated the, uh, the possibility of that fly line grabbing a, a real handle or the butt section of your rod. So when you strip that again. It's never that it's, much it's, that I'm stripping. So you just have like three feet.
2: And max, if, yeah. that, if that is ever the, all it is. It's just enough to get me right back. Because what I want to do is I almost want to grab it and put it right back here and get it right back low again. And then I'll just hit the, hit the right. spool to get it
0: right back there. Here's one of the things I want to make mention to people that are listening to this conversation is that it's very important like what you said. You do not get 12 pounds of drag on your reel until that fish is extremely tired and fatigued. And the reason being, if anybody starts fishing uh, with 12 pounds of drag, now let's not forget, a fish in the water column, if it's not swimming, Mm -hmm. kicking, just laying there, that 100-pound fish weighs less than 10% of its body weight. So that fish might weigh 8 to 10 pounds. That's why children can hold their parents in a swimming pool. The buoyancy of salt water is even more so than fresh. Hmm. but what what happens is if you've got 10 or 12 pounds of drag on your reel and you hook that fish and now that green fish jumps out of the water now that fish is not 10 pounds it's 100 pounds yep and if that 100 pound fish lands on your 16 pound test tip he's going to break it that's why it is imperative not to have a lot of drag on your reel early in the fight uh, against a big fish
2: i never do like i said it's all about you know, again, reading what that fish is doing at that time, because sometimes if, like you say, if you get a really hot fish, you've got to be very careful. But when I finally start getting that fish, the minute I start to fight a fish, because I know we do it a little bit different. Harry taught me down and dirty, down and dirty, down and dirty, especially with the backcountry fish. I start getting that thing the minute he might be out 60 feet and I'll I'll stop him out there at 60 feet because I can, you know, start to feel him slow down. I immediately then, I, I turn my my thing up to about eight pounds and i just start going straight down his tail straight down his tail now before i do that i always find out which side of the mouth he's hooked on i want to fight the fish always on the same side that he's hooked i don't want to cross him i don't like the way it does it sometimes it'll turn the fish or it'll cause your leader to rip across his mouth you know the shock and 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 break it off so we stay on that side but i immediately start going down now here he would tell me do not flip him because we would go ahead And keep pulling him back, keep pulling him back, keep pulling him back. But now all of a sudden when he's only about, I don't know, a boat length from the boat, now I'll really start to pull him down hard. And as he starts, his head starts to go down, then I would turn and i come straight back up. I would try to get him going down and then flip him back up. He does a headstand. He does a handstand. then his head, you know, his mouth comes up. And here's the biggest mistake most people make. They don't finish the fight. When that fish sticks his head up, Then I get up on the, by that time, I'm up on top of the casting platform. My guide's ready to do whatever he's going to do to the fish. And a lot of times then I will then immediately, when I get him up tight, I don't try to reel down, reel down. I keep his head up and now I'm stripping again. I'm pulling my line and I'm actually pulling that fish back to my guide, keeping his head up. You let him put his head back in, you might be in for another 20 minutes. Yeah, you got to own their head. But you get that head out of the water. And you can slide and we pancake him sideways. And when you pancake him sideways, it's too many people still swim him to the boat. I keep his head up and I'm leading that freaking pilcher right to yeah, the lip gaff or right, the, yeah. the guy gonna grab him. And if you don't, you know, could prolong it. And in a tournament, it's about getting that thing out as quick as possible.
1: Another technical aspect I wanna talk about is my father made mention that you don't necessarily make you know a backhand cast, but you go right over your head with a
2: forehand cast, correct? I do. I don't do backcasts well. I, you know, I learned on some of the areas that you and I fish, you know, way, way out west that uh, you might have to make an emergency backcast. But as a rule, I turn and I throw straight over my head if I have to. With the fly line between the boat. The fly line straight over my shoulder. Right. And, you know, I learned to do that because I just wasn't a very good backcaster. You know, I fished with some people like Craig Burr. He backcasts is. Right. good as anybody could forward cast. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't do that. So if I see a fish, you know, I might flip it out one way and then I'll just turn it and I'll go straight over my head, right, right to and it. And
0: or that rod tip can be over your opposite shoulder and yep. your head is between your hand, mm-hmm. the rod and the fly line. So you just go right over your head. But you
2: gotta be careful because it freaks out a lot of guides when they see the fly yep. fly through the middle of them. You stand still and I won't hit
0: you. Yeah, just trust this. Yeah, but, but, you a you of guys, ducking- but a lot of guys don't have anglers uh, of your caliber. One of the great things about a backhand cast is that you can hook the fly, and you can't do that with a rod over your head. So what happens is— I wish I could like, do it. <laughs> like other, yeah, but I'm just saying that if you have that dexterity in your casting and you get a fish lying away from you and the boat's on the slight left-hand shoulder, you can a backhand cast low and stop that rod tip. That fly will flip around right in front of the fish, and you can't do that with a cast over your shoulder. You know, that's a very, that, but that happens so infrequently.
2: Yeah, it's so funny. I'll tell you another story. We were in uh second Gold Cup that we won with Harry, and I had the flu. I mean, I was sick. So we get in that first morning, and sure enough, there's a big one. Boom. getting him. like, I think we ended up taping. It was like 128. And I'm sitting there over the side of the boat, throwing up. Harry's like, You gonna be okay? And I'm like, I don't know why. He goes, Cause you gotta get up. I'm like, Why? And he goes, Cause there's more fish right in front of the boat. Like oh my gosh! So we we get it. I think it was another one like 132, and I'm fighting the fish and throwing. What's up, up with you and these
1: big monster
0: fish? Well, Jesus well, Christ. let's go back I mean, to the <laughs> tournament. You beat Nicky. You <laughs> catch two. He catches seven, and you still win. Yeah, well, Jeez. because so, you're the you're the guy who catches well, big fish. You,
2: well, you <laughs> caught a 145 on the second day. Yeah, Craig Craig is so funny. He calls us the big fish bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, you know the size of those fish and back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. And they were monsters, right? And, um, and the ones that swim down the, keep <laughs> we'll that out. Yeah, well, we won't even look at them. Yeah. But you know, it's a funny story back then. So we're for there, and, and I'm I'm looking around again, and Harry goes, I hear somebody go. Psst, psst. I'm thinking, what the heck is that? I said, Harry, is said, okay. He goes, and he's 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 pulling this way, but he's looking over his shoulder. He goes, behind the boat. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, there's a tarpon right behind the boat. He'll start to throw, and I'm like, really? And he goes, Yeah. So I start to throw and the line <laughs> goes over here and lands on his shoulder. <laughs> Finally lands on his shoulder. He goes, Strip it. I'm like, Are you sure? And he goes, Yeah. Strip. One eats it, jumps, you know, and immediately falls off because it jumped right at Harry. Oh no shit. Yeah. And he laughed and I said, I can't believe we lost it. He goes, It doesn't matter. The fly landed, the line landed on me. It would have been disqualified anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, because it was it was on the huh. it was that. So then we were in another one. You love this. We're out back and I mean when when I tell you I did whatever Harry told me to do, we're fishing somewhere back in the back, way down in Key West near some island. You probably fished out there. I don't know. And there are, there are like big mounds and the tarpon laying up around the mound. And I hooked one. This again was during the Gold Cup. And it's a big one, man. And he's jumping all over the place. And I mean, the minute I, I hooked him, he, you know, big fish a lot of times won't just go crazy. This fish went bananas. So of course the fly line is everywhere. Just what I told you I never do fly lines everywhere so it comes up and it's got this big knot and i'm like harry what do i do what do i do and he goes jump i'm like jump he goes jump so i just leaped right off the bow of the boat i'm swimming like this with a fly rod and he's not moving and he's laughing i'm like what come get me he goes you just disqualified us you can't jump out of the boat
0: why not
2: i don't know and um i, I guess I, I disagree with that i don't know no one touched the rod no he one says th- you got
0: to stay in the so boat.
2: i he just started laughing well the fish broke off anyway, because right. you know i couldn't keep up with him right. but he laughed he goes you can't jump out of it i said what you told me to <laughs>
0: I know. <I've> done <laughs> he that said a we've got like
2: to put then. some boundaries on what we do on this boat.
0: <laughs> i was in the golden fly the first year i fished with paul tahera and we were on the ocean i hooked this i hooked this fish and all of a sudden, it came up, and the line got wrapped around the butt of my rod, and I just, I just jumped in midair. I tried to get it off, and tahir had never seen that. He goes, "What the hell? All of a sudden, you were just gone. <laughs> What's that all about?" No, you mentioned Paul tahir I wanted to yeah. talk
1: a little bit about him because you fished yeah. with him for many years, and you guys did. You won your last gold cup won together. won last gold cup. Yeah, very well together. How was it fishing with Paul? Because he's such a good friend of ours.
2: Paul is one of the you know. Paul's a great guy, and he's a fabulous guy. And it's funny because uh i was just going to mention something that that happened with paul and i we're at the first point in nine mile and uh, we hooked a big fish we've got him pretty good everything else and the fish ran back up into the the bank and he's only in about you know three feet of water and he won't open his mouth he just won't open his mouth and i'm like paul's down there trying to get the little lip calf, and i'm like dude grab him do something grab him go the other way hurry do, <laughs> do something and uh and the fish is throwing water all over Paul. And finally, he gets the fish. And he lip casts it, and he turns. He goes, don't tell me what to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you bring the fish to me. I'll put the fish in the boat. I said, well, I didn't. I There's like- a problem. You know how to guide too. <laughs> I'm you like, know? put the fish in the boat. I mean, let's just do it. We had so much fun. I mean, it was funny because that was a tough gold cup for us. Uh, we stayed in El uh, because of some of the people that were chirping about well, you know, you're going down south. We don't know what's going on or not. not so, you know, our last Gold Cup, Harry and I stayed in Al too, which I wasn't happy about, but we did. And we won in front of Ralph Delph and everybody right at the first point in Nima We stayed there, mm-hmm. there in Buchanan.
0: But... Well, you put all those guys into retirement. They couldn't beat you, so they started the Golden Fly. Well, yeah, and that's a true story.
2: Yeah, I, I, that was that was funny. So, whoa, whoa, is that really? It's true. a true yeah. story. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that you guys were accused of cheating. Well, what because they said they, what? because I think <laughs> were in. Yep. And by the time you guys got to, you'd stopped at Channel Key Banks, and we and already, already caught, caught you one. Caught one there. Yep, we did. And they thought nobody could catch a fish that fast, but you guys can. I said, <laughs> because. I didn't say that to, to Steve and, and, uh, and Sandy, but in my mind, I'm thinking these guys are the best tarpon fishing team on the planet. Of course they can catch a fish in 15, 20 minutes. You know, that
2: was very hurtful because we were on our way down and Harry stopped because you know, Harry lived in Duck Key at the time. Sure. I had never fished Channel Key Banks before. And, uh, Harry says, we're going to stop here real quick. I said, why? And he goes, cause I've been finding fish in these little channels. I mean, they're literally a series of channels yeah. in Channel Key Bank. So we're on the, we're on the edge of the channel and there's a few fish rolling. He said, just throw it there, let it sink, bump, bump. That's how we used to do that, bump, bump, pause, bump, bump, pause, all of a sudden, just boom. I hooked one up. Fish went, bum bump, bump, bum bump, bum bump, bum, 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 Jumped, got it to the boat. I think he was like 112. Dredging. Yeah, well, yeah, dredging yeah. pretty much. Got him right to the boat, got rid of him. And then we took off and went down south. And we used to, the funny thing that that really bothered me about that is we'd always go through Bahia Honda Bridge on our way to because <laughs> we'd see those balls of fish that used to be there. Harry, on the bayside no on the ocean side we go oh, through oh you go the ocean, we'd go ocean the, side we go the the ocean side and come around come in from that remember that little creek at the
0: oh that's right because at that point the uh, the inside was all right. you had to go way back you had to go way back way around so at that point you go out to the ocean yeah and,
2: and we go out to the ocean and we go through that little side creek going into coupon there right so we came out there and we tried to find those we f- we never never hooked one of those in the balls never and we tried every time so we ran down there and we ran straight Skip, and, the, skip the balls. Yeah, we skipped the balls and ran straight to because he wanted to be there on the falling tide. Sure enough, when we got there, we'd come in from the, you know, the Almorada end. Remember you know, the little creek that would come sure. in from that side? And we could see Huff and and Sandy down there where they always fished at Huff's Corner down at the far end by Bow Channel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we I think we might have caught another fish there or whatnot. Or maybe we didn't. But when we got in, there was this big hoop to about it's impossible that you could have caught a fish and still gotten down there by the time we saw you. And I'm like, this is just so ridiculous. I don't even know how to respond to this right. because we did. We stopped. We hooked the fish. So, you know, we had a little bit of that type of controversy that really bothered both Harry and I. And, I, you know, I talked to my wife about it. And, you know, my wife is a good little Christian girl. But she said, you know what, screw them. It's not their fault that you guys are winning. Well, the next year, Harry decided, you know what? We're either going to win in front of everybody in Amarada or we're going to lose. And I was pissed because I was like, no, I want to go back down south. I love it down there. He wanted to make a point. He wanted to say enough's yeah. enough. Yeah. It's time to prove these Watch people this. wrong. And we did. And it was, the weather was freaking horrible that week. It was blowing 30 and raining. And we sat at the first point in mile. We were up at the green holes. Ralph Delph was right behind us at that spot. And Jeff Combs was at the at the other end. And, and it's blowing so hard, Nick, you can't even do a back cast. So I was practicing and all I was doing was stripping all my line out, doing a roll cast and shooting it up in the air. And the wow. wind was like, zoom, yeah. take it out. And it was like, boink. And we're standing there and we're standing there and it's raining so hard. And all of a sudden I look coming down outside of us. I'm like, Harry, is that a tarpon? And all you could see was like a little tweak coming across the water. Right. Because it was blowing so hard. And he goes, it might be. Surface disturbance, right? A little bit of, just a little surface. So I throw it out as far as I could. He goes, Glenn, you overshot the thing like 40 feet. I'm like, it's blowing 30. Strip, 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 There he is. So we fight this fish. We're off into the, the, you can't even see us anymore. We can't see the bank because it's raining that hard. We catch that fish and we come back and we're looking around thinking, where's our, you know, where's our push pole? Because I know we left it there and there's Dolph and there's Jeff. Well, they moved up. Dolph was on our push pole. It <laughs> <laughs> you was your spot. Yeah, and Chris Martin <laughs> was in on our push pole. So everybody moved back and we weren't there 15 minutes. And here comes another little ding, 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 ding. And I throw back out again. We get that one and there we're off again. And uh, it was a blast. Then they ran home and started the Golden Plot. So that was your fourth Gold Cup win. That was the fourth Gold Cup win. And the so, icing
0: on the cake, obviously, was with you and Paul the following yeah, week. Yeah. Well, you know,
2: that was, again, Paul really wanted to stay down there. But this, Paul and I were uh, fishing and it was it was a little tough, but we were at Nine Mile. We caught, we were catching some good fish at Nine Mile. And Rusty Albury, a good friend of mine, mentioned, you know what? They're moving first national like you can't believe. He told me that that night and I told Paul and he said, the problem is, People are going to beat you out there. We were last out. And he said, all the fish are coming in from the Gulf down First National. So just get at the very end, you know, the Rocky Channel end. Right. And just sit and wait. And you might yeah. get some shots. Okay. So we go out there. Everybody's like four boats out there. Rusty, Randy Tal, There's Randy was fishing with Carlos Solis at the time. All these boats are out there. And we're standing there thinking, God, this might suck, you know, because we're the last boat. Well, all of a sudden... All the tarpon in the world started coming from Rocky Channel instead of coming in from the Gulf. They were coming this way and coming around us. So again, it's raining and windy. We hooked this one fish and it was a big one. And my able froze up on me. And you couldn't. The drag wouldn't go up by itself. You had to pull the drag out, and the fish was going crazy. So, Paul and I, I'm standing in the bow of Paul's boat. And every time I'm telling Paul, he's going to go, he'd speed up because I'm trying to pull the thing out. We finally ended up catching it between water spouts out at uh, Middle Bank. Oh, wow. Out by the tripod. Mm -hmm. We finally caught that thing. Oh, my God. You should have, you know how Paul is. You should have heard him like talking to that fish when we finally got that thing to the boat.
0: (laughs) Well, look, um, my question is you went five in a row and then you were
2: done yeah why'd you why'd you stop uh because i won five in a row and you know i i worked really hard at it and uh paul would have fished it again and quite frankly i'm glad we stopped because the next year i think that's when timmy mahaffey went out him and murphy and they destroyed i think we had like 7800 points and they got what 8200 or something right so we would have gotten beat most likely anyway they were fishing you know on the far back on the on the coast side and you know, it just, it seemed like the right time to stop. And I'll tell were, you one you, of the reasons yeah, why. Were you, yeah, were well, you burned out a little I bit? I was, and I'll tell you what it was. Andy, by the the last Gold Cup that Harry and I won, uh, my wife and I would talk, because every, every year, one day during the Gold Cup, I would fall off the rails. I mean, I looked like I couldn't do anything right. I mean, it was horrible. I couldn't, and I'd call up Barbara and she'd say, is this your, um, you know, your therapy call? And I said yes. I sucked again today. She goes, okay. And her saying was just fish better. Just stop, forget about it. Go out tomorrow, fish better. So that was a joke, just fish better. But I got to the point after I would win, I would go home, and people used to say I was cocky. It wasn't that. I don't care if you're if you're there, and if you beat me, that means you caught everything that you had a chance to catch, or you caught everything that you had a chance to catch. But if I missed anything. I would dwell on it for weeks after the Gold Cup to the point where Barbara was like, you got to stop. This is getting ridiculous. You won. I'm like, yeah, but I missed this fish. I did this wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And, she, you know, I was really becoming obsessive on the mistakes that I would make. Can you imagine
0: how depressed you would have been, if you would have been had you lost the Gold Cup? <laughs> this is when you're winning. <laughs> I was going
1: to say, that's what made you so good. Yeah. Yeah, but it's- The it, obsessive, you know- <sighs>
2: And, you know, a lot of people don't have that that drive to do it. You know, some people would, like I said, they would they called it cockiness, and it really wasn't that at all because I wasn't fishing against you or you or anybody else. I was fishing against that fish that swam in front of me. Mm-hmm. If I did my job and I'm lucky enough to catch one more than the next person, then you can win. And um, if you don't want to win that bad, I don't want to play second. You know, when we came back and fished the golden fly with Steve Thomas, which is another interesting Story, I'll tell you that was kind of funny. Uh, And the second year we placed second. And that's because, again, I'll tell you the fish that that I broke off that I shouldn't have because I was stupid. But taking second place, I sat there and I thought to myself, I didn't say it. I I whispered to Steve, I said, So this is what this feels like. And I, you know, he said, Yeah, well, we're second place. I said, No, we're not. We lost. You know, second place, we lost. Well, but right after
0: that, you became a guide. You know, was that, I mean, you're the only, person that ever has ever won the gold cup as an angler and as a guide
2: i enjoyed uh being part of that tournament so much and i got to the point where i just loved tarpon fishing so much and we discovered the the fish out west uh and it was just so good that i decided you know what i'm gonna guide uh and then i got hooked up with tom siska and tom and i fished for i don't know 13 or 17 years and uh I just love taking people fishing, Andy. I I really enjoy taking people fishing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to catch the fish to have fun on the back of the boat. And one thing that I wanna do now worse than anything is just try to see if I can help others, maybe improve if they want to improve at Um, all and see if I can help them become better anglers if it works for them. And that's kind of where I'm really pushing myself now. But I, I enjoyed that, it was so funny with Tom. We would go out to these places, and as you know, some of these places you'd see strings coming. There were places we'd fish. Andy, you'd look down and you'd see streaks of fish coming, three different lanes as far as the eye could see, just wakes coming, and and the wakes could have anything from a, an 80 pounder to a 150 pounder in it, or 10 fish to 30 fish, and it was it was so exciting, and I could see good. And Tom would he <laughs> he'd look at some of these fish, and I'm like, you see that fish? No, which one are you talking about? I'm like, that one right there. What do you mean you don't see it? This went on for qu- one week, quite a bit. So he finally stops, puts his rod down nice and calmly. He walks to the back of the boat. And he says, come here, I got to tell you something. And I bend over, grabs me and he says, do you think I have my head in my ass? He goes, <laughs> if, he goes if I tell you I don't see it, stop telling me why. Why don't you see it and point it out? No is no, I don't he goes, see it. And then he goes, yeah. <laughs> i just i almost fell off the platform laughing he goes tell me 10 o'clock 11 o'clock 50 feet 40 feet because i'm like what do you mean you don't see me he's right there right
0: Uh, that's the worst feeling (sighs) ever I've been on both sides of that. I
1: know what boat you guys are in because I look over and I just see two two guys, <laughs> two with, no sh- dudes. Two guys with
2: no shirts on. <laughs> no sunbathing
1: out there. What's up with you with no shirt?
2: I I love the sun. I always have. I'm surprised I don't have skin cancer. But And Timmy, I think, used to call us Team Vertically Challenged because yeah, we were so right, short. So short, both of you guys. But, uh, you know, Tom and I had a blast. You know, we got a chance to do a lot together and we won the Gold Cup finally and we would have won the second in a row, except your dad pulled out a 150 something the last day.
0: I cut five, five oh. straps that last day.
2: It, you beat us by that. You beat us at the very last the, day. One of my last gold cups. Yeah. Yeah. You beat us on that lap. We would have, when we were ready to go, we were like ready yeah, to go. And we went you, from go. dead last to first. Yeah.
0: So I, I think I've told the story, but gosh. I, I know whether or not I've told you about Kimmy Klett telling me that I had to go move my truck. Right. Do you Remember that story? No. So it's the last day of that gold cup and Hoover and I are getting ready to take off, waiting for the horn to go off. And Kenny Collette and Azo is right next to us. And Kenny Collette says, Hey, you got to go move your truck.
2: Wait a minute. The, the horn to go off in the morning to leave.
0: Yeah. It's the last, on the, on the Friday morning, the last day of the tournament. Okay. We're in the boat, you know, motor's running. Getting waiting ready for the to horn. Take off. Getting yeah. ready to take off. Kenny goes, Hey, you got to move your truck. I said, what are you talking about? I knew he was messing with me. Yeah. He said, man, you're, you're always in the top three going into the last day. You're in dead last. You, your parking spot's got bad mojo on it. Oh no! This is a true story. <laughs> so I said, "Timmy, take me to the dock." And he didn't want to take me to the dock. I said, "Man, you got to take me to the dock." You know. So we're motoring over to the at the Lorelei dock got there. In your head. They shoot the horn. Everybody takes <laughs> off. I grab my bag out of the front hatch, get my keys. I move my truck as far away from that parking spot as I could. <laughs> I mean, I've never been superstitious in my, oh my life. Gosh. And I get back in the boat. I said, "Timmy." This is the first really nice day we've had. The whole week's been terrible, rainy, cloudy. All of our fish are falling off. And the field is only 1,400 points ahead of us. I said, you find me the fish. We're going to catch them. Yeah, yeah, we were one of them. Thank you. We had <laughs> we had five bites caught all five fish. I mean, God I thank God I moved
2: my truck. Or was that a different tournament where you caught like a one fifty the last day and beat Tom and
1: I? That was a different tournament because when okay. you when you came I'm thinking back about with five straps, one. you beat Carlos and Rob.
2: No, that
0: was Carlos and Rob. No,
2: this one you beat us with hundred and fifty something on the last day. You came in with that giant of a fish. I don't know if you called it the or whatnot, but it was like you've got. To be he took that
0: from your playbook because that's what you normally do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just want to say here, <clears throat> you have always been so generous. With your your knowledge, your enthusiasm. When I started getting into the tournaments, you were one of my biggest fans. Oh yeah, and that's hard to that's hard to come by. And um, I remember that after that year, you you were fishing the tournament. You were fishing the Gold Cup when we caught, had those five straps on the last day. You were fishing with Joe Rodriguez, and oh, after that's right. that, yeah. You were, you were actually fish, fishing in it. You called me like three times like that, that week going, that was outrageous, you yeah, know? Most cool. people wouldn't do that. But I gotta tell you, watching you at the dock with all the other anglers and, and guides, you are so effervescent with your enthusiasm. And Tim McCline says, and Paul Tejera too, no one is more passionate about the poon.
2: I don't wanna lose, but you know what? When we won that, or that, that last golden fly, Uh, I always used to say when people used to say, you know, he's cocky and everything else. I used to say, beat me. I'll be the first person to hand you that trophy and say congratulations. Yeah, you are that guy. I mean, go for it. That's great because that's what this is all about. And I don't think people understood that. It wasn't about me. Like I said, I never fished against somebody. I fished against myself and the fish. And that's what people didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I lost, then I lost. Uh, And (laughs) Good luck, I mean, when that golden fly hit, I was the first person to congratulate Rob and his anchor. And I said, good job, guys, you know, I mean, they walked in two minutes, they pulled the Flutie, they walked in two minutes before it was too late with those straps and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, what, good job. What do you
0: think, you know, besides being able to have polished all these little moving parts as far as the technicalities and the methodology of, of catching these fish, other people have these polished pieces too how were you able to win all these tournaments so easily
2: well you know it's funny you say that it's not I don't know that you can ever say obviously
0: obviously you need a great guide it's mm, a team event absolutely you can't catch what's what what's not there
2: you know you got to trust your guide but you just you know the the, the little things have taken us a long way the, the, the tackle has taken us a long way and I'm a firm believer in the fly lines that I use. I want to make sure that when I get to an area, I understand what's the depth of the fish, you know, how's he moving? How fast is he moving? And that'll dictate how I'm going to throw, what I'm going to throw. I switched over to real fly lines for tarpon fishing. A lot of people don't like them. They're a little harder to throw, but they don't stretch. And I think that is imperative on a good hook set to get no stretch in that fly line. Right. So I swear by those and over on the coast, I only use a sinking tip fly line because again, those big fish, I don't want them to have to come up to eat the fly because a lot of times when they come up to eat the fly, they can blow the fly out. So I like to get them down deep and whatnot. But the biggest key, I think, and this is what I've tried to teach some different people that I've in the tournaments that I've talked to at various times is I don't understand when they say we went out. I actually told a friend of mine, I never want to hear this again, that I went out and I jumped eight and caught one i'm like why why'd you jump eight and only caught one Why was yeah Yeah, why didn't you jump eight and catch six or you know catch eight of course that you know you're not gonna catch eight but uh they're like well wait a minute i mean tarpon fall off i'm like yes but they don't have to what are you doing that's making them fall off so you know again i've refined what i consider that only works for me now and this is what i tell people if i try to Give anybody any advice. I like to see what they're doing to see how I might be able to help them build from what they're doing, but never change utterly what they're doing because you can destroy somebody by doing that. But I think that our hook set is so important on how we set that hook on that fish and how hard I fight the fish. I want that fish to the boat as quick as possible in a tournament because that might be that few seconds difference between he falls off and not. And I got to tell you, I think that just makes all the difference in the world. And then I have you know, really good relationships with my guides. Uh, but it's all about reading the fish, understanding what it's going to take to make that fish eat. Now, I don't have the understanding like you do on the ocean. My understanding is primarily on backcountry. Right. So I'm allowed to be more sloppy than you guys are allowed to be <laughs> because it's different. Right. But you
0: were mentioning earlier this morning a different hook that you're using on the ocean. Yeah. And that and that plays into the fact that you can never set the hook on a tarpon until you feel the weight of the fish in your stripping hand. A lot of people set that hook with a visual bite. That's crazy. Raising that
2: rod. To- you almost have to shut your eyes. But, but what's the new hook you're using? Well, there's two hooks I'm using. One in the Florida, in Florida Bay, I, uh, we use very big flies on the, these areas that Steve and I were fishing. Very big, very big, very bushy, really hard to throw. And I would only use a Tiemco 600 SP. A very, I would use a 4-0 wide gap hook. I mean, it's a really wide gap hook, and I would buy a couple of boxes of 100 apiece, and I would take them out. And if it didn't automatically by itself grab my fingernail, I'd throw it away. I just get rid of it. So out of a box of 100, I might get 30 that were perfect hooks. You don't believe in sharpening hooks like no. Bob Fordyce? No, I do not. Um, maybe because I'm not good at it. But a lot of those, these laser sharp hooks or whatnot. The minute you do that, sometimes you end up rolling the point on a tarpon or whatnot. I'd rather just throw it away and get a new hook. So then I send those to our flight. We've got a fly tire that Steve and I use, and Mm -hmm. he knows just to tie it off those. Now, the ocean side, you know, a lot of people do a lot of things different. You know, we've gotten to the point where we've just kind of used circle hooks. um,
0: Tell me why those work so well for you. Well,
2: they didn't work and, sur- and why wouldn't you use circle hooks
0: back in the dark water in Florida Bay cuz you're still doing the same thing. You're I, still stripping the fly until you
2: get tight. I think that you could. I really honestly do think you could. I just haven't done it uh to be to be honest with you because I think the fishing if you did the same thing that we're doing out front in the back, why wouldn't you? Right. Just haven't right. done it yet. Just there's right. no reason. There's no good answer to that right now. But the funny thing is, you know, a lot of these people fishing circle hooks or whatnot, it's very different because the last thing you do is pull when the fish eats. You pull, you pull right out of his mouth. You've got to sit there and almost do nothing. And you can slowly strip until you feel him and then you just hold it. You don't do anything. You just hold it and let the fish come tight on it. And it's it's some, I don't know what causes it to do it, but it finds its own little spot and it starts to dig that little, you know, that little offset point starts to dig in. And every fish I've hooked, with one of those those circle hooks. And I use the the offshore angler, believe it or not, the wide gap circle hook, it's a wide gap one. I use a very small one, it's like a 1.0, but it's a really wide gap. And I've caught 90, 100 pound fish on it, and it works.
1: But that's insinuating the fish is eating the fly and turning his face, because that circle hook I would I would assume we'll have a hard time getting in the fish's, fish's face if he eats the fly and comes at you because then you're taking up slack and how is that circle hook going to get in the corner of his mouth?
2: You're right. Uh, and let's just stick on the ocean side for that answer. Most of the time, like I say, you guys are more professional on ocean fishing than I am. I don't ever throw at a fish head on anywhere I go, anywhere I go. If I can avoid it, I will never do it. I will always try to get a 10 o'clock or a 2 o'clock at the at the least and if i was throwing when i was throwing my circles out there on those i would throw it and then i would still put the rod tip off just to the side enough to where it's never straight on him right so just that little bit of angle of, of angle as soon as he feels it he tends to turn away from you anyway and then i would just hold on
1: yeah he'll set the hook for you
2: i just said i'm like this is crazy it's going to come off i'm using 30 40 pound shock never they never come off they never well that's they don't ever come off but they never bite through it right it's always hooked in their lip
0: also too yeah because that shock's never going to be inside their mouth with the circle hook
2: and you know now you
0: can actually fish
2: on the ocean with 30 pound shock you absolutely could now you're going to get a giant one occasionally that might just inhale it but uh you know i've i've caught 80s and 90s out there like crazy Mm -hmm. on that uh that particular hook and it works really well we like we said we caught them in the uh, we've hooked them all through different different parts of Florida Bay. So I have no idea why they wouldn't work. I would think just getting a big 4-0 on my big flies for out back oh, in the mud. Oh, absolutely. I would think that would be perfect. Really good. As a matter of fact, I've got my, my uh, guy tying me some. Oh, awesome. <laughs>
0: it's, you know, we, we've covered a pretty good spectrum here. Where would you like to, how would you like to wrap this
2: up? Anything you'd like to add? Well, you know, like I said, my biggest joy anymore is helping others. Do that. And what I've decided to do now that I'm kind of retired from, you know, I sold, we sold our business and um, I'm going to start booking about 30 days a year in May and June. And I just want to work with people who want to have me maybe help them. Understand tarpon fishing a little bit and, better.
0: And what about guys out there that might be looking for a guide to start tournament fishing? Do not, would you I, be available for that? Or are you over would, tournaments?
2: You know what? As a rule, I'm pretty much over tournaments. So it would have to be with somebody that I really, really would like to fish with and that you hope, know and know
0: that you can win with
2: that I know, and that I know if I'm going to put in all that extra time, that's because they're willing to put in and invest the time as well to make it work. Right. Uh, otherwise, I just you know I just want to help people. Right. And Lefty Crate, giving a story, you know, I'd heard about Lefty for years. I never knew him. And uh, I was having a trouble with with these big flies, throwing a long cast and everything else. And I called Lefty out of the blue probably 15 years ago. And I just said, hey, Lefty, it's Clint Flutie. Somebody told me that you might be able to help me. And he said, I've heard of you. And, and he took my call and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm having a little bit of a problem getting this. And he said, could you have somebody film it and send it to me? And I did. And I called him back. And he said, here's what I want you to do. And uh, he said, as far as I can see, you're not allowing your rod to go back far enough with that big of a fly. You're trying to get too much forward cast out of too small of a back cast. You're
0: creeping forward.
2: Yep. He said, as soon as your line's going back, you're automatically going forward. So you're cutting out 50% of Of, your forward momentum. Yep. And I couldn't see that. And sure enough, I went out and started dipping and doing that. And holy crap. All of a sudden, it just, flies. So that's what I want to do for others, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got uh, an email and I, I get my phone number out if somebody wants to call me or email me. And I'm just looking at, you know,
0: what a great uh, mentor they could have.
2: It's all I want to do is help people out at this point, Andy. I don't, you know.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll put your email and your website or your phone number on the, on the website, on our website so people can contact you through yeah, there.
2: Anything they want because like I said, I'm certainly no lefty cray. But I kind of like... But you're a better
0: tarpon he, fisherman than Lefty it Well, colors. I don't know about that. Oh, all I yeah. know is he helped
2: me out at a time when he didn't have any reason yeah, to do was, so. Yeah, he was awesome. And uh, if I could do that, that's my legacy at this point, is what can I do to help others, you know, get better at fishing. And um, that's just all I want to do anymore, to be honest with you.
0: Well, Glenn, it was a, it was a great visit. Yeah. You've been a Thank good you. friend, a great pal. Uh, great pal. Uh, and a great inspiration to anybody that's ever wanted to catch a tarpon and well, really a, a bonefish too by the way <laughs> they think of you as a, as a tarpon fisherman but your bonefishing uh, uh, skills your track record speeds for itself
2: it was let me say you growing up in the keys was like a dream come true yeah Thank, thank you oh, bro thank you I really oh, yeah. appreciate awesome. it thank you, thank you so much fun. thanks so much for it's the good. stories yeah, it's great to buddy. see you again it's good to be out there fishing around you too we've oh. done that enough around each
1: other it's a lot of fun isn't it it's not fun when you come in with a 145 though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it depends on who's coming in with a 145 <laughs> yeah. thanks well, so much thank you, thank you.
2: So right.
0: there are windows of time where star athletes make their mark that will stand the rest of time and Glenn Flutie has done just that in our sport of fishing If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.